Gathering Games Prophecy Times podcast for another week. You are on the mic with Mike. My gorgeous wife told me to say that. So there it is. Uh, This week's episode is episode 10. And we are looking at and asking the question, is the rapture imminent? Is it imminent? And we'll look at what that word imminent and imminency means shortly. But to start with, by way of introduction, we're going to dive right in to a uh, quote that we've used over the last few weeks from John MacArthur that helps to summarize, if you will, the pieces of the puzzle in Scripture, the details in Scripture that we have to piece together and understand in relation to the end times. He says this, Scripture suggests that the second coming occurs in two stages. First, the rapture, when he comes for his saints and they are caught up to meet him in the air. And second, his return to earth when he comes with his saints to execute judgment on his enemies. Daniel's 70th week, which we looked at last week, must fall between these two events. That is the only scenario that reconciles the imminency of Christ's coming, which is what we're going to talk about today, the imminency of Christ's coming for His saints with the yet unfulfilled signs that signal His final glorious return with the saints. So let's jump in. By by way of definition, the word imminency or imminent means a hanging over of one's head, ready to befall or to overtake one, something that is close at hand in incidence. Okay, so therefore an, an imminent event, so if there's an event that's imminent, then that event is always hanging over your head. That event is constantly ready to befall or take over a person. That event is always close at hand in the sense that it could happen at any time. Other things may happen before the imminent event, but nothing else must take place before it happens. Additionally, imminence combines two conditions, certainty and uncertainty. That is, an imminent event is certain to occur, but the timing of that event is uncertain. Now, since we never know exactly when an imminent event will occur, three things are true. Any imminent event, three things are true. First is that we cannot count on a certain time amount of, uh, sorry, a certain amount of time passing before the imminent event happens. So if an event is imminent, we can't guarantee that that event won't take place for a week or a month or a year. We can't guarantee a time um, that passes because that event is imminent. Because of that, we should always be prepared for that event to happen at any moment. So that's the first thing. Because we can't guarantee a set amount of time, we should always be prepared for that event to take place at any moment. Number two, we cannot legitimately set a date for an imminent event to happen because a specific date for an event is contrary to the concept that that event could happen at any moment. If I set uh, a date next week, then I know 
that today the, the event could not possibly happen. Therefore, the event is not imminent. By definition, if there's a date set, the event is not imminent. The third thing is that we cannot legitimately say that an imminent event will, take, uh, will happen soon. Now, the word soon is different to imminent. The term soon implies that the event must take place within a short time. And that also that that event will take place after a particular period of time. That's the implication. So if I say something's happening soon, it means it's not happening now, uh, but it has to happen in the next short period of time. By contrast, an imminent event may take place with, within a short period of time. That is, it may take place within a short period of time, but it does not have to take place in order for it to be imminent. An imminent event does not have to occur soon. Its imminency simply means that it could happen at any moment. Therefore, imminence does not equal soon from a definition perspective. Now, the concept of imminence in relation to the coming of Christ. Because we don't know, and the Bible teaches us that we don't know exactly when Christ will come, based on what we've already learned about imminency, four things are true. The first is that because we can't count on a certain amount of time transpiring before Christ's coming, we should always be prepared for that event to happen, that is for Christ to come and gather his saints, at any moment. We should always be prepared for that event to happen now and now and tomorrow and next week and next year. We should be prepared for it to happen at any moment. That's the first thing. Second thing is we cannot legitimately set a date for Christ's coming because the Bible says that it can happen at any moment. And if we set a date, then that disqualifies the fact that it could happen at any moment. The third thing is that we cannot legitimately say that Christ's coming will happen soon. Though it may happen soon, and though the truth of what we're seeing around the world, and the Bible says that we should be aware of the times and the seasons, there are signs going on all around the world at the moment, at this very time, that point us to the truth that uh, the imminent rapture of the church will happen soon. However, based solely on the doctrine of imminency, we cannot say that Christ's coming will happen soon. Remember, imminency does not equal soon. So based solely on this doctrine, uh, that is of, Im of the imminent coming of Christ, we cannot say that it happens soon. Though it may, as I said, and though it's looking like from all the other evidence that we see in Scripture and around the world that it will happen soon. But it does not have to in order to be imminent. The fourth thing is that Christians should have an expectant attitude toward Christ's coming. Always. Since it is imminent, since the Christ's coming is imminent and therefore could happen at any moment, believers should constantly look forward to look out for and eagerly wait for that event. Now, 
Well, I've just come out and stated that the coming of Christ is imminent. I believe this to be true. But the question is, does the Bible teach the imminent coming of Christ? Does the Bible teach that? Because it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say? Let's start with John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Now's the time. Bible open in front of you. Feel free to hit pause and play again. John 14, 1 through 3. I love this verse, first part of this verse. Let not your heart be troubled, says Jesus to his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So says Jesus. Jesus promised his disciples and by implication all church age believers that he would come again to take them from earth to heaven, that is to his father's house. Now this concept was foreign to the disciples, that is going from earth to heaven. Their hope was that Christ would immediately, while he was on earth, establish his kingdom on the earth and that they too would stay on the earth and reign with him in his kingdom. The thought of Jesus leaving, the thought of Jesus going from earth to heaven, and, and then following that, the thought of Jesus coming to receive his disciples unto himself and to relocate his disciples from earth to heaven also. Jesus, earth to heaven, disciples, earth to heaven. That was a new revelation to them. And apparently they didn't get it because Jesus told them a number of times he taught them about his need to die and his need to go to the father's house and hear the fact and the promise that he would return and to take them to the father's house. But they didn't get it. Fast forward to Acts chapter one, verse six, after Jesus' death and resurrection, and this is what is said. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still asking about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. They didn't get it. Christ's announcement to his disciples in John 14 revealed an entirely different hope for the disciples. The hope of the church being taken from earth to heaven, in contrast with the hope of Israel, which is Christ returning to set up his kingdom and reign over the earth. But did you notice in Jesus' delivery of this promise, how Jesus presented this hope for the church? Did you notice it? Do you notice that there is no teaching of any prerequisite event on earth before this coming. It is presented as an imminent event. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. What he doesn't say is, if I go and prepare a place for you, brace yourself for the coming tribulation period, and then I will return and receive you unto myself and take you to heaven. He doesn't say that. He simply says, if I go and prepare a place, I will come and receive you to myself and take you to where I am. There is no intervening event that Jesus declares 
in his promise to his disciples and therefore the disciples are encouraged to what? To let not your heart be troubled. Now, if Jesus coming for the disciples was going to be after the tribulation period, that is after a prerequisite event, which Jesus didn't describe here in the promise, if his coming was to be after the tribulation period, it is so hard to understand how this passage could be a source of comfort to their troubled hearts. How could it be comforting the knowledge that Jesus is going to come after the tribulation period when scripture teaches us that the tribulation, and in fact Jesus taught a little bit later that the tribulation period would mean persecution, would mean death by beheading for many, for most of uh, the believers during that time. If you contrast Jesus' message of comfort here in his promise to his disciples in John 14, with his message to those living in the tribulation period in Matthew 24, 15 through 22, the message is totally different. The message in Matthew 24 to those who will be here during the tribulation period is one of brace yourself, run to the hills, prepare yourself for all these events that are going to come to pass. Whereas his message for the disciples in John 14 is a message of comfort, a message of hope. It's a message of imminence. Turn with me now to uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a number of passages in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 7. And I'm going to build a case for you here. Because Paul, throughout all his letters, has one focus for his life and for the life of the, uh, the believer. It's, a, it's the focus of the imminent return of Christ. Look here in 1 Corinthians 1.7. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Time and again, Paul refers to this truth. And, and the need to, and that he is eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus. Paul had an ever-present hope and concern and awareness for and focus of Christ's imminent coming. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Paul here is speaking of the future time when all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul lives in earnest expectation of the imminent coming again of Christ in preparation for this event. His focus is this time. He says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. His focus is time and again on this event. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, Paul, um, he elaborates even more on this truth, on this imminency. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall, be, shall, we shall all be judged. Verse 52, 
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. Paul speaks as someone who believes that he may be alive still at the time of the rapture. We shall not all sleep. That's referring to death. Paul puts himself in the category of those who shall not all sleep. Now, Paul didn't know when Christ would come again. He didn't know 100% if it would happen in his lifetime, but he knew that he could come again at any time. That is, Jesus could come again at any time. And therefore, Paul may well still be alive at that time, which is why Paul said, we shall not all sleep. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. This is Paul signing off to the church in Corinth. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Maranatha. Now that word Maranatha, if you're reading a New King James Bible, you'll see the words, our Lord come. But the word is Maranatha. And it was an Aramaic expression. It was a petition, that is an appeal to God. And it consists, consists of three Aramaic words. Ma, meaning Lord, Anna, meaning our, and Tha, meaning come. And together, those words in Aramaic mean our Lord come, which is what you see in the English translation. It means, please, Lord, come. Come now, Lord. Now, this is something that you can only ask, right, if you believe it possible that he could come now. If you know that he can't come until certain things take place, until 20 years time or 100 years time or 1,000 years time, why in the world would you use a saying, would you sign off with a saying, would it be common to use the words that mean, our Lord come, come now Jesus? Why would you say that? There's no point in saying it. it's a meaningless petition. It's petitioning God for something that you know you can't have. It's like saying, God, give me that Ferrari. It's ridiculous. You wouldn't say it. William Blake uh, Barclay says this in relation to the word Maranatha. It is strange to meet with an Aramaic phrase in a Greek letter to a Greek church. Paul wrote this in Greek to a church in Corinth that was predominantly Greek-speaking, predominantly full of Greeks. He goes on to say, the explanation is that the phrase Maranatha had become a watchword and a password. It summed up the vital hope of the early church and Christians whispered it to each other, identified each other by it in a language which the heathen could not understand. You see, the majority language was Greek in that culture. Most people didn't understand Aramaic. So they, Christians, could use this word Maranatha and people that didn't know what it meant wouldn't know what it meant because they didn't speak the language. In the context of this passage here in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, the word Maranatha warns them that at any moment they may have to answer for their shortcomings. Why? Because our Lord come. At any moment, Jesus could come. Jesus could come imminently at any moment. 
Turn with me now to Philippians 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, something that we earnestly need to remember. We're not Australians first or Americans first or whatever. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on to those words, eagerly wait, as, as we turn now to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now those words in Philippians 3 and Hebrews 9, eagerly wait, in the Greek means to expect fully, to look for, with great care and perseverance, wait for, to intently yearn for is what that means the implication is to disregard all else so says paul and concentrate on the savior's coming don't worry about anything else concentrate on the savior's coming that should shoot in the foot any church that doesn't teach bible prophecy that doesn't teach uh, the return of christ or the the second coming of christ or doesn't focus in any way on Bible prophecy because Paul's focus was, his intent yearn was for the coming of Christ. Again, Paul here includes himself among those with this attitude towards Christ's coming. The expectation of Christ's coming was so intense for Paul and the early church that it was the primary focus of their attention. So if anyone comes up to you or to me and says, why are you so focused on the rapture? Just let it go. Sorry. Paul's primary focus was this very thing on the coming of Christ, the imminent coming of Christ. Now, my question is, if this was Paul's primary focus, eagerly waiting, intently yearning, with great care and perseverance, waiting for, striving for the upward call of Christ, would it have been this way for Paul in the early church if there were no possibility of an any moment coming? What I'm saying is, if it wasn't possible that Jesus could come at any moment, if Paul knew that Jesus wouldn't come for 2,000 years, would that have been his focus? Would that have been his intent yearning? Would it have been his primary focus? Of course not. It would only be his primary focus if he believed and if he was taught by God to expect Jesus to return, that is to come for his church at any moment. It could happen at any moment. Philippians 4 verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now those words, the Lord is at hand, is talking about the imminent arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ being at hand. And this imminence is used as motivation for Christian conduct, motivation for Christian holy living, motivation to get the Christian up and in action, actually doing something for the Lord. 
In all we do, we need to remember that the Lord may come at any time, but we don't know when. Therefore, as Christians, we must be ready, be working and be watching at all times. The Lord is at hand. He can come back at any moment. That is what Paul says to the Philippians there in Philippians 4.5. Turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Paul again, this time to the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 1, verse 10, he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, so much in this verse. We've looked at in previous weeks the wrath to come being the whole seven-year tribulation period. So already we get the picture here that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. That is, as we saw in Revelation 3.10, the whole period of time of the coming wrath, the seven-year period of tribulation. But here, Paul says, and to wait for his son from heaven. Now, if in fact there was to be a prerequisite event before Christ's coming, such as the tribulation period, then Paul should have rightly instructed them to brace themselves for the great tribulation and the painful events to come, rather than comforting them, saying, wait for his son from heaven, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. He's saying he's going to deliver you from the wrath to come. You don't need to brace for it. But if there was a prerequisite event before Jesus coming for his church, Paul would have instructed them to brace for it rather than to wait for Christ who will deliver you from it. See, the Thessalonian church were expectantly waiting for the coming of Christ. They were looking forward to Christ's coming, not the Antichrist coming. Because as soon as you have the church going into the tribulation period, all of a sudden, the return, uh, the coming of Christ for his church is no longer imminent. Because now we're waiting for the Antichrist coming before Christ's coming. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Paul here is teaching to wait for Christ who will deliver you from the Antichrist and the coming wrath. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 to 12. Again, to the church in Thessalonica. I like this one. Paul says this. This is toward the end of his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some, he says, we hear that there are some among you in the church who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. He says three things. They're they're being disorderly. They're walking among you in a disorderly manner, meaning living among you in a disorderly manner. They're not working at all and they're busybodies. Now, who are these people? What were they doing? Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now, as you investigate this portion of Scripture in the context of 2 Thessalonians and both the letters to the church in Thessalonica, 
some of the members of the church in Thessalonica had gotten so excitable about the imminent coming of Christ, that is the rapture, they'd gotten so excited that Christ was going to come soon, which is not accurate, but they got so excited of Christ's imminent coming that they'd quit their jobs. They'd close their businesses. Why? To wait for Christ's coming because they believed it would be soon. You see, they got it wrong. They believed that Paul was teaching that Christ's coming was soon rather than imminent. So they'd quit. They'd stop. They'd put their feet up and they're like, yep, beautiful. We're just going to do it. Ever we want to do and they're like guys get excited jesus is coming stop don't worry about doing you don't worry about those things jesus is coming just stop what you're doing they equated imminent with soon which we've seen by definition is not accurate so instead of believing that christ could come soon they were convinced that he definitely would come soon this was not what paul taught at all a quote by a guy named D. Edmund Hebert says this, This situation carries a warning to people today who are prone to be chasing about to hear some new truth, such as the latest view in eschatology, while failing to order their own lives according to the truth they already know. The best preparation for our Lord's coming is the faithful performance of our present duties in the furtherance of his cause. Paul teaches us to eagerly wait and be focused on the coming of Christ, but he also teaches us, and so does the rest of scripture, to earnestly be about our Father's business, to occupy while we wait, to serve the Lord and be faithful in the things that he's put in front of us while we wait. And that is what the imminency of Christ is all about. If we know that Christ can come back this instant, then that should dictate how we live our lives. There's so many passages. Titus 2, 13, James 5, 7 to 9, Jude 1, 21, Revelation 3, 11, 1 John 3, 2 to 3, 1 Peter 1, 13, Revelation 22, verses 7, 12, 17, 20, all speak to the imminency of Christ coming for his church. I'm going to close with two final passages that I want to go into a little bit more detail on because I know we're out of time. John 2:28 says this, John 2:28, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, that is when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He's talking to believers is the apostle John talking to believers here abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming now i've written john 22 but i think it might actually be first john 2 28 let me just double check that so that i don't get that wrong for you first john 2 28 yeah so not not the gospel of john uh, but the letter uh, from the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Now, 
In relation to this passage, I'm going to read you a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, The date of that coming is concealed. When he shall come, no man can tell. Watch for him and be always ready that you may not be ashamed at his advent. Should a Christian man go into worldly assemblies and amusements? Should he? Would he not be ashamed should his Lord come and find him among the enemies of the cross? I dare not go where I should be ashamed to be found should my Lord come on a sudden. Should a Christian man ever be found in a passion? Suppose his Lord should there and then come. Would not he be ashamed at his coming? One here says of an offender, I will never forgive her. She will darken my doors again. Would you not be ashamed if the Lord Jesus came and found you unforgiving in that moment? Oh, that we may abide in him. As John says in this passage. And never be in such a state that his coming would be unwelcome to us. Beloved, so live from day to day in duty and devotion that your Lord's coming would be timely. Go about your daily business and abide in him and then his coming will be a glorious delight to you. You see, Jesus can come at any moment. And so the Apostle John here teaches us and rebukes us even and encourages us to abide in him every moment so that when he appears, we don't get caught out in our sin and feel ashamed at where Christ finds us. He can come at any moment, so live accordingly. The truth of the doctrine of the imminency of Christ, that is the rapture of the church before the tribulation, is that it should convict the believer of their sin and to holy conduct and their, living, their holy living. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. This is the last passage. I think this is a jewel of the passages of the imminency of the coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We know this as the rapture passage or one of them. I'm going to highlight a few words as we go through. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, who died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be, uh, shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, firstly, comfort one another with these words. It's the same message that Jesus gave to his uh, disciples in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled, is what Jesus said there. And Paul says here, comfort one another with these words. Again, where's the comfort if this event is coming after tribulation where they're going to be beheaded? 
But what I want to draw your attention to here is the five we statements of Paul, if I can put it that way, whereby again, Paul includes himself in the category of we, that is we who will be alive and remain at the coming of Jesus for his saints. Paul includes him in in that group of people who will be alive and remain at the coming of Jesus. My question is, was Paul wrong? Did Paul get it wrong? In saying we, is this part of the Bible wrong? After all, the rapture didn't happen in Paul's lifetime. In fact, it's still not happened 2,000 years later. The answer is no. Paul didn't get it wrong. Paul wasn't, in fact, teaching that the rapture would definitely happen in his lifetime. Paul taught that the rapture could happen in his lifetime. He taught the Thessalonian church that Jesus could come at any moment. And because of that truth that Jesus could come at any moment, Paul says not to despair about those who die before the rapture. They will be resurrected at the rapture. He says, don't even despair if you die before the rapture. Rather, live expectantly as though the rapture could happen at any moment. Paul put himself in the category of people who believed he could still be alive and remain at the coming of Christ. And because of that truth, he says we are to live expectantly as though the rapture could happen at any moment. He says we are to live in a way that shows that. We are to live, we are to abide in Christ. But how are we to do that? And more to the point, how could Paul know? How could he be so certain of the imminency of Christ's coming? How could he be so certain as to put himself in that category of we? Check out verse 15. Paul says, God told me so. Verse 15, for this is this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul says that God told him, Jesus told him directly that his coming for his people, his bride, the promise that he gave his disciples in John 14 could happen at any moment. This, Paul says, is by the word of the Lord. And so I say to close, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Thanks so much for joining our Prophecy Times podcast for another week. Next week, we will be opening up 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, together, and I'm excited for where that's going to take us. So really looking forward to seeing you next week, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Much love and peace.